The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. Oh, hi, Mike. Um, yeah, I was calling you about, so yeah, you did an evaluation on Donald Bull back in 1993, if you could clear out the cobwebs. Um, yeah, I'm working on a, doing research for a criminal justice report for a podcast about a Donald Bull court case, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk to me about the case and about him. Uh, I, I think I can do that. Yeah, yeah, we can talk uh, maybe a little later, if that's okay. That's fine what, with what me. You, um, you know, how about if you give me, why don't you give me, say, 45 minutes and then give me a, a call back, and I should be available. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hi, Mike. Yep. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. By the way, I, you know, thinking about this, um, I do suspect I can find my file for him, but I'm not at the office, and I don't know if it would make more sense to wait until I have a chance to go look and find that file, if possible. Well, my, my recall of him specifically is virtually nil, but if I pull out my file, it's amazing what comes back. Uh, I won't be in the office tomorrow. I'm actually going to be in federal penitentiary tomorrow seeing someone else. But Monday, I will be in the office. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. So it's it's okay if I record this, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, well, I guess have you had a chance to look at any of uh, Don, Donald Bull's records? Yes, I've gone. Um, I've glanced back through uh, my notes, my test data, and actually, I'm missing the second page of my report, but I've looked at the other three pages okay well for the record can you tell us who you are and what you do sure I'm dr. Michael Gelbort I'm a clinical neuropsychologist in private practice Uh, the majority of what I do is to provide diagnostic and consultation services on referral from a variety of different doctors Um, typically my patients are sent to me by neurologists or neurosurgeons 
both physiatrists who are physical medicine rehabilitation docs and work with people with uh, conditions leading to change in their functioning. I also see a lot of patients on referral from psychiatrists, from internal medicine doctors, uh, gerontologists, pediatricians, internal medicine physicians. Um, there's a portion of my practice that revolves around providing consultation for uh, attorneys typically in legal cases, both civil as well as criminal. And I have several technicians who provide testing services for me. I interview patients and then have them tested as a general rule when there is known or suspected neurological or neurocognitive impairment. And then I provide an evaluation and uh, information back to the referring source with regard to my opinions as to how they're functioning and what might be done to help them. He certainly fits into a, a subcategory of patients I work with. He was accused of having committed uh, murder and his attorney for some reason wondered if there wasn't something that could be gained by having a neuropsychological evaluation. So neuropsychology is kind of boils down to the study of brain behavioral relationships. Um, the brain is responsible for certainly our emotional or personality life, but it's also responsible for our cognitive functioning, our thinking skills, learning, memory, problem solving, reasoning, ultimately judgment, uh, more basic things like perception, understanding, uh, being able to assign meaning to what's going on around us. And in the eyes of the law, if someone is having difficulty or dysfunction in some of these areas, it may be relevant, um, it, it can be relevant at the time of the original trial in terms of guilt innocence, but more typically, at least my experience has been, that concern about how a person thinks cognitively, their thinking abilities, not just emotionality or personality, is quite relevant uh, based on the statutes when sentencing someone that as there are uh, an eye towards uh, any sorts of specific issues that aggravate the situation um, and that may lead to more severe sentencing, mitigation is also has to be considered and one of the things that can be considered as mitigating is if there's cognitive impairment. So, you know, a, a very obvious example is that if someone is intellectually disabled, which is the more recent term for what used to be called mental retardation, um, if it's proven up that they have this type of disability, they're not even considered eligible for a death penalty in the sentencing phase. And if there's just cognitive impairment that doesn't reach that level of severity, um, that will be taken into account in the course of sentencing. So neuropsychological testing, which looks at uh, any abnormalities in behavior that arise from brain dysfunction, are things that need to be considered in the course of capital murder sentencing anyway. What did, did you know anything about the case when you got the referral? 
uh, I knew actually very little, and that's pretty common. Um, my concern or my questions have less to do with what the individual is accused of. There are times when that's relevant if it might have some impact on assessing the individual's cognitive ability, but more the questions I ask the attorney when they call and say, say will you or are you interested? Um, because I don't want to perform services for someone where there's very, very, very low likelihood that anything will turn up in the testing or in the test results. So I end up asking about the person's history. You know, why is it that the attorney thinks that neuropsychological testing may be relevant or useful? So I'm looking for things like, have they suffered a traumatic brain injury? Do they have a history of learning problems or attentional problems? Uh, have they ever suffered a medical condition which might lead to changes in neurological abilities and cognitive functioning? So those are the things that um, are more of interest to me rather than what they actually are accused of having done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what were your impressions of Donald Bull and your uh, diagnosis? So he um, he has a history that is replete with several different things which can give rise to neuropsychological dysfunction. He was involved in a motorcycle accident without a helmet in 1987 with, um, based on his description anyway, uh, there appears to have been certainly a period of amnesia, if not overt loss of consciousness. Um, he was engaged in substance use or abuse, both alcohol as well as different illicit drugs. Um, he has a history of learning issues or problems going through um, school. So there, there certainly were things in his background that made him a good candidate for this type of evaluation. And then ultimately on testing, he produced uh, intellectual test results in the low average to the very lowest part of the low average range, right on the border between low average and borderline impaired. Statistically, I can give you, um, he came up, um, he was certainly below the 18th, below the 15th, below the 12th percentile on the summary scores and on some of the individual subtest scores he was weaker yet. On tests that have to do with executive cognitive abilities or frontal lobe functions, the part of the brain that kind of organizes how we think and what we do and how we plan going forward. He was showing impairment um, arising from both the dominant cerebral hemisphere as well as the non-dominant cerebral hemisphere. So he was, um, again, producing numbers on standardized tests that place him down well below the fifth percentile. So he had considerable cognitive limitations. His academic scores, he was at first grade level on sight reading, fourth grade level on spelling, fifth grade level on math. Um, generally, his cognitive abilities are such that uh, sometimes I explain it if you had three, say, fifth grade rooms, each with 33 kids, so you've got 99 kids, 
and you rank ordered them from cognitively strongest to cognitively weakest, and the weakest are at the back of the line, he'd be probably certainly towards the very back of the line, if not number you know, three, four, five from the very back of the line out of 99 kids, just taking an average. So the, there, there's clear cognitive weakness here, um, impairment. Some of it appears to have been longstanding or congenital. Some of it may have been a reflection of an exacerbation in cognitive abilities from the motorcycle accident or uh, other sorts of neurologically damaging events in his life. How many times did you see Donald Bull when you evaluated him? I, it appears I just met with him on one day. I was probably with him somewhere between six and seven hours. Now, I'm curious about these types of evaluations you've done, especially in regards to uh, death penalty cases or um, when that's on the table. And have any of your evaluations, because of them, caused a person to um, get life instead of uh, death? Uh, there's been a fair number where the individual ended up with a life sentence. Um, I think perhaps speaking to that most poignant is when someone has been sentenced to death and then rather than at the original trial level, which was Mr. Bull's case, um, the attorneys going through the record and the appeals process uh, asked for this sort of evaluation if it hasn't been done before and on um, they, they end up having the the defendant be resentenced they present evidence to the court saying that things that should have been done hadn't been or had been left out and the sentencing process starts over and the, there's a, a fair number of Typically, guys I've worked with where their death sentence is changed and they're given a term of years or a life sentence. Um, the very first death penalty case I worked on, I was brought in and information had not been brought to light at the time of the original trial, at the time of the original sentencing. And it turned out that the fellow um, was resentenced and his death sentence changed to a, a term of 30 years and he's been released at this point. Oh, wow. Do you have any opinions about the death penalty that you care to share? I, yeah, contrary to what many who uh, cross-examine me would believe, I'm actually a proponent of the death penalty. I think it's a valid um, penalty. Um, on the other hand, I think it's also been probably misused. And I live in Illinois. We had... Uh, a bunch of years ago, I think there were 167 men, I think they were all men on death row, and because it was found, or the, the governor believed that the death penalty was being applied um, in a very uneven fashion and inappropriately at times. Uh, all the, all those, those uh, sentences, as I understand it, were commuted to life sentences. Yeah, Donald Bull was, I think it, it was the same time when he was 
uh, in line for that, but then he passed away in, in uh, prison. Yeah. It was in 2002. Um, can I ask you, do you think he was guilty? I, I actually have uh, really very little or no opinion with regard to guilt or innocence. Um, I have in my notes, I, I typically ask what the patient or what the person I'm working with has been charged with, and I get some very general uh, information from them regarding what they say happened. There are times, and this is one I don't have any of the background documentation that I may have looked at, where the attorney will supply me with things like charging documents and grand jury testimony. Um, you know, but guilt innocence is something that I think rightly belongs in the province of the, the those who are hearing the facts, be it a jury or the judge. And uh, I, I actually have personal strong opinions that all the people who start weighing in saying so-and-so is guilty or so-and-so is innocent, but they haven't heard the trial proceedings, um, you know, it, I find it especially egregious when it's political people who have decided guilt or innocence without hearing the facts. And, you know, these are people who should know better. Um, my uh, involvement in legal cases has caused me to, to learn or to become convinced that until you hear all the information, it's pretty hard to, to have a leg to stand on to pass judgment. Um, there are some cases where you know, the individual will confess and say, yes, I did it. Frankly, I've seen people who have had coerced or forced confessions where, um, for example, the DNA evidence will come back and even though the the uh, defendant has confessed, the, the hard scientific facts say couldn't have been that person. So even when a person confesses doesn't, you know, from what I've seen, doesn't mean that they actually were the perpetrator. Um, Mr. Bull's case, um, it wouldn't surprise me if, in fact, he was guilty. And uh, as I said, you know, my role more often than not is in mitigation, deciding sentencing. So even if the individual did it, if they have, uh, for lack of a more encompassing technical term, if they have a broken brain, if they've got a, a brain that's capable of 80% reasoning and understanding and problem solving, I'm not sure it makes sense to give them the 100% sentence, the 100% solution, when the best they'll ever do is be an 80%er. You know, it may be that for society's sake and for the individual's sake, even if they're guilty, um, we should sentence them other than with the ultimate sentence. You know, I, I think you're, you're hearing my biases or opinions or the culmination of having been involved in cases like this over many years. Um, I, I, this, this is some very hard, challenging work to, to sit with someone who is at risk of having their life ended and typically because they are accused of having ended someone else's life. Um, it's kind of the ragged end or edge of my practice where 
Um, if, if I'm stymied in what I do for a living, this is oftentimes the type of case that will cause me to feel that way. Um, tend to take it very seriously. It's challenging work. Um, you know, so I've uh, thought about it long and hard, I think, and uh, it, it concerns me that the system sometimes bullies defendants and I, th I think the death penalty work is where um, bullying is most egregious because it's it's so finite. So, you know, I, I feel for these guys. I also look at them when I work with someone who's accused of murder and on trial and, and may forfeit their life as a result. You know, I, I tend to think, is this someone I'd like living in my neighborhood or would this soon be far away? And because many of these fellows that at least I get to see, you know, it's not a random sample. As I said, I try to not work with people where there's not something in the background that would give rise to possible neurocognitive impairment. Um, oftentimes these guys have poor judgment because of neurological dis dysfunction. They don't think very well. They have many fewer choices or options available to them in life. And um, more, more often than not, that certainly contributes. It's not the cause. It's not a causal relationship in what they've done, but it's highly correlated with the kind of trouble they get into and the trouble they cause for other people. And I think as a society that that's something we should recognize um, and, and have to address it in, as we go through this type of proceeding. It still goes by TBI, traumatic brain injury, or acquired traumatic brain injury. Uh, we still talk about that. And uh, I, I was, for about nine years, vice president of Brain Injury Association of Illinois, which is part of the national um, brain injury uh, organization. And I get referrals from the BIA, Brain Injury Association of Illinois, people when someone has contacted them with, um, you know, typically someone in their 20s or even 30s who's getting in trouble and has a history of a significant brain injury, um, you know, with recognition that that were it not for the brain dysfunction, the patient or the individual probably wouldn't be in trouble because they hadn't been before. And that's, yeah. Yeah, our, our, our brains, uh, if you were sitting here, you know, my, when I have my patients in the office, I point to my chest or my heart saying, there's, there's where we all talk about emotion arising and then point to my head and that's where thinking is. Truth be told, it's all in the brain and um, we can have emotional problems or cognitive problems or a combination thereof that lead to us acting in abnormal ways as i said brain behavior relationship and when the brain's not working right you know the, the people who the where the the brake pedal is inappropriately and overly pushed and they just sit around and do much of nothing they don't get into trouble it's when the other side when the gas pedal gets pushed and we start acting impulsively or in a disinhibited way because of brain dysfunction those are guys who end up in court
I'm wondering, is there, so somebody who has a traumatic brain injury, is there like treatment for them to, you know, help them to not give in to these, uh, I don't know, baser impulses? Sure, sure. Um, you know, some of it can be treated with medication. So to help calm the nervous system, um, oftentimes taking some fire off the pot, so to speak, uh, will kind of turn down the impulsivity and the, the tendency to act out into the world. Um, and if nothing else, just to slow the process so the person has more time to reflect and anticipate and um, hopefully find a, a, a more viable and appropriate sort of behavior to engage in when they get frustrated or when someone thwarts them. Um, so some of it we can treat medically. And then we also work to restructure and control the environment, um, make it where the person has fewer bad options open to them. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the obvious, they, they probably should not have access to firearms. They probably should be in a controlled setting where they can't grab a knife, grab a hammer and do something bad in an impulsive fashion, where there's coaching and training on different ways to resolve conflict and helping people understand that just because you remember how you used to be and you want to be like that doesn't mean you are that person now. And you need to exercise care and caution to keep yourself out of bad situations. So there's a lot that can be done that is being done, but quite often the guys I've seen in uh, criminal legal settings, um, they're either... Their, their injuries and their deficits are mild enough or not obvious enough. They may not have resources to engage in, in such treatment. Um, they may, you know, as long as they're cognitively competent, they don't have to be involved in such treatment. So there's lots of things in our culture and society that doesn't necessarily allow or cause people to get the treatment that might benefit them. And Donnie Bull was probably one of those people. And he, he he would fit, you know, and, and he probably was the kind of guy. Just looking at my notes, where if someone had said, you know, your your thinking skills are not so good, why don't we see if we can help you with that? He was said, no, I'm, I'm fine. That's my suspicion. It's an interesting thing to have a discussion about. Um, many people, you know, they're, they're quite sure that they have the answer. You know, he did something bad, so execute him, and they don't necessarily understand that um, there but for the grace of God, this could, this could happen to anybody in anyone's family. You know, with uh, I, I've had individuals who have had acquired traumatic brain injuries, and they were the sweetest, nicest people, and all of a sudden they started doing some really nasty, dangerous, bad things. And people who take certain drugs and um, act in ways that are just unbelievable, you know, out of character for them. But the drugs tend to loosen control. So, yeah, beyond that, you know, I, I, I think people 
there's there's a lot of interest in this sort of stuff now, and I'm glad people are thinking about it and talking about it. Behavior is not just caused by our emotional and personality characteristics, but rather the underlying organic substrate is really important. If the brain's not working quite right, you know, all bets are off, everything changes. And to understand that is really important to understand people and how to help them. Gothic is a production of Longbird Media in association with CZ Studio and Radio Verite. The show is produced by August Olson, editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman, audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Jinra Illustrissimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or a review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. <laughs>